Got Baba Lola's notes. No, I just printed it up. Let's begin tonight by singing hymn number 203, hymn number 203, just a wonderful song about how the Lord loves us and lifts our burdens, but it's all done through the work of the cross at Calvary. So burdens are lifted at Calvary, hymn number 203, and uh, let's stand together as we sing. I sing, I think that's a good way to begin our service tonight. How are you all tonight? And uh, I can look at that lens up there and I can ask people online, uh, how are you tonight? But they won't respond. So how are you tonight? Good, good, good. Delighted to see all of you and trust this will be a time of refreshing and blessing in the presence of the Lord. Hymn number 203. What's the beginning note? Days are filled with sorrow and care. Hearts are are lifted at Calvary, Jesus is very near. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Calvary, Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Jesus is
Hymn number 293, God will take care of you. Wonderful. This is a very precious and heartwarming hymn about God's loving care for us. It would kind of coincide with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. God will take care of you. Hymn number 293. Be not despair. stanza, I want you to hum along and look at the words and let the instruments play. We've got a good orchestra tonight. Are you ready? And sing... God will take care of you every day for all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. No matter what may 
let's take time to pray and ask God's blessing on our service tonight. Brother Rick Womack, would you lead us please in prayer? Thank you, and you may be seated. Well, the Lord has been good to us. We've had three good Sundays. Three, is it? Three Sundays already? Back on the old homestead, and looking forward to a good, wonderful day on Sunday. We're still on our regular Sunday morning schedule with our adult Bible study and our children's Sunday school at 9.45, and then at 10.50 our morning service, and then lunch and mingle. So I understand that our, our cook, our chef for Sunday, has a brand new huge pot in which he's going to make some delicious soup. And uh, he has arranged for some fresh baked bread to go along with the soup, and looking forward to a good lunch and mingle for this coming Lord's Day it's, hasn't it been a joy just to be together and with the saints? And it's wonderful, as I preach, to be able to see my congregation again. That's an absolute joy and thrill and excitement. So let's pray very much now. Uh, these are days of real turmoil in our nation. I think you're all aware of that. But, but let's, let's not get diverted from the importance of the gospel now. Because the need of the gospel is at the root of all that is going on. And there is one huge burden that we need to bear, and almost nobody notices it. If they do, they're not talking to me about it. We have had um, tens of thousands, it's in the hundreds of thousands now, I think, that have crossed our borders from Mexico into the United States. Now, do you know where I'm going with this? This is a tremendous missions opportunity. We have a lot of the cream of the crop. We have people with open hearts, troubled lives, and transition in their lives in need of the gospel. And if we would evangelize half of these people coming across the border, our country would be a lot better off. They're more open to the gospel than our own people are here. Is that true? I think they are. And so let's pray that somehow God will raise up evangelistic efforts to, to reach this multitude that is pouring across our borders. Do you really believe that God is in charge? Does God cause all things to work together for good? Does God know what his church needs? See? And we need to ask ourselves those questions. We don't need political relief. We need spiritual power. That's what we need for these days. So I just want to encourage you, put on your prayer list evangelism, evangelism for all those who are pouring across the border. I'm hoping to call a couple of contacts that I have. I don't know anybody that's talking about this. I'm not hearing anything in, in the religious world about this. Uh, I hear a lot of complaints about the illegals, uh, but these are unsaved men. Most of them are men. 
and unsaved men and women and in tremendous need of Christ. And they come out of a culture that is much more open to the gospel than our own culture is. So let's just be very much in prayer about this. Will you, will you join me in prayer about this? I don't know what I can do. I don't know what you can do. But I know that we need to just talk with God about this. We really do. And pray that God will open up doors for ministry and evangelism uh, out of what is happening in our nation today. And then the tremendous spiritual needs, that, that uh, the violence that's in our country, um, a lot of violence, and, uh, but the, 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 the whole answer to this is the gospel. So um, uh, we, we are living in a day when God can uh, portray his power. We were on um, our Zoom last night, and I've been reading in Samuel, and I think I got the figure right now. I think I've got the figure right. Uh, when Saul uh, had to face the Philistines, do you remember when, when, when Jonathan and his armor bearer went up to the peaks and there was a miracle working of God in the defeat of the Philistines? Well, before they got there, the Philistines had 60,000 chariots. 60,000 chariots and I think 9,000 horsemen. Six or 9,000 horsemen. And all of Saul's army was unarmed because none of them had swords. The Philistines had all the swords, had all the metal. They did all the metal work. They, they sharpened all the axes and did all the metal work. So they, they weren't allowed to have metal because they, they could make armaments. And so, so he had an unarmed army against 60,000 chariots and six or 9,000 horsemen and God undertook that day and there was a great slaughter of the Philistines. Absolutely, there, there was an earthquake involved in that thing. So folks, listen, either God is God or he isn't. Either God is God or he's not. And if he is, it's not the power of the enemy, it's not how bad the situation looks, it's how, how much in touch we are with God. So we really need to be in tune with the Lord these days because God is not a loser. Never forget that. God is not a loser. Never. God is not a loser. So we are on the winning side. Got a letter from the Babalolas that I want to share with you, and I want to watch the clock here so Pastor Pelletier has time for his, his lesson tonight. The message is that he's going to bring to us. Um, the Babalolas are an unusual family. They came from Nigeria. They went back to Nigeria. That doesn't often happen. Usually they get enamored with American wealth and prosperity. But the Babalolas came and trained, and they went on back. And um, they're running into some opposition now. Their, their work has been doing well. And um, uh, the mission work is going, and the Lord is adding to them every week. They're experiencing resistance from other Baptist groups in town. Uh, they had discussions about our ministry and warned their people to beware of us. Some people actually patrol our meeting place every Sunday morning to stop people from fellowshipping with us. A few of our regular worshipers have had people from their former churches coming to forcefully pull them away from our fellowship. Now, that's an interesting way to save your membership, isn't it? 
um, as a church family, we continue to pray and ask the Lord to encourage and keep us going in spite of the discrimination from other believers in Oyo. Uh, in this past month, we've had about 20 people place their faith in Christ. That, that's a good number. Um, another answer to prayer is that a family of three sought the Lord for a right place of worship and chose to continue worshiping with us. God also gave us two men who are now seeking to be discipled and are, are ready to serve in the local church. And uh, God is transforming lives. I'm going to just go on down. Um, uh, their, their, their shipment finally came in, and of course, as happens in countries like this, certain things were missing. Evidently, uh, they go through things and they, they steal out of their goods that come in, what they want. But most of the things got in, I think, and uh, so um, and they had some damage to their, their automobile down on the way in. They're having difficulty in their living arrangements. We're currently looking for another apartment for our family. Our landlord just got a new tenant who happens to be one of those Nigerian princes. That's in quotes. This young man is mostly, most likely in an internet fraud business since he arrived in the compound, we've been having issues involving security, different men trooping in and out, inappropriate dressing, walking around the compound with alcohol. We can't turn on our Wi-Fi because it can easily be compromised. We learned some of these guys are also into kidnapping gangs that kidnap for ransom. So they think they're probably going to need to locate housing in a safer place for his family. So that can be on your prayer list uh, if, if you will. Um, so the Lord is good. They have issue housing. Um, by the way, the kidnapping in Nigeria, that's a very common thing there. There's a lot going on that's not good in Nigeria. So um, they have land to um, um, put a church on now, I believe, if I'm reading the pictures right and the captions on them. And they're trying to recover the missing boxes and items. Uh, which probably they won't. I'm going to predict they probably won't unless there's a divine undertaking. Uh, they have a picture of a plot of ground which says mainland Baptist property. Uh, so that indicates they're going to put something on there, Lord willing. So making good progress for missionaries that are just new on, on the field. Uh, one more song, if you will. We'll sing just the first and last stanzas, hymn number 37. Hymn number 37, my hope is in the Lord. My hope is in the Lord. Stand, we'll sing the first and last stanzas. My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me.
singing. You may be seated. I want to thank Pastor Pelletier for the enormous amount of effort and the work he puts into these lessons. You can tell as you open them up tonight. I hope your hearts are prepared and your minds. Hope you have your Bible, your pen, your pencil, and ready to go. Come and teach us tonight. God bless you. All right, I do want to remind the men that this Saturday is our Man Up Prayer Breakfast. There, we'll be meeting right here in this room and I think down on that end of the building. And, uh, and we'll have a good time together at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning. And I think Pastor Tom King from New Testament Baptist Church down in Hanford, California is going to be with us. I thought he was going to be with us tonight. He's in town. Pray for him. His wife is having some, uh, some medical treatments done in town. And uh, so they're here in the area, and he was going to come tonight, but something must have come up. So, uh, but he's hoping to be with us on Saturday. And then afterwards, uh, some of you men need to be aware that Rick Womack's trying to put together a team to take care of a couple of issues for some people in our church that have uh, some needs for help. One, one family needs some help moving, and another lady, one of our widow ladies, needs some help trimming some bushes and just doing some of the handyman stuff that a husband normally would, but she doesn't have one, so we need to go help him. So if you would see Rick, he'll help you with that. If you have any questions about that, see him or see me afterwards. Okay. All right, we're continuing in our study on the, um, the triumphing over sinful fear by uh, John Flavel. Uh, this is an old Puritan preacher that many years ago wrote this book, uh, and, and uh, we are trying to kind of translate it, bring it into modern English so we can use it and actually uh, take the, the good principles that are there. These Puritans used to take an idea and they would just squeeze every bit of juice out of it. And sometimes I think they squeezed more than what was in there, but, I, but they got a lot out of it. And there's some, there's some good help for us, especially as we live in a world that really is kind of full of fear. And uh, we have determined that there are several kinds of fear. He, in his book, na nailed down three different specific kinds of fear. There's that natural fear that is the result of the fall. We all know that one day there's going to be judgment because of sin. Adam and Eve, if they had not sinned in the garden, that kind of fear would not be here at all. But that's, uh, it's just going to be a part of life until the Lord Jesus comes. And, uh, and, and for as long as we're here in this world, we're just going to have to live with it. And uh, we have to just know how to control it. But then there's a sinful fear. And that's what we're going to focus on tonight. That's the kind of fear that says, I'm not going to trust God. I'm going to try to figure this out on my own strength. And, uh, and you kind of distrust God and says, I can handle this life on my own. And you find out you're not able to. And so it's just, it's the wrong kind of fear. It's, it's, the, it's the wrong kind of fear of God. I'm afraid that God's going to take something from me or hurt me. And then there's the religious fear. And that's the kind of fear that is the fear of God that holds him in awe that recognizes that instead of running from this powerful God that we think is going to hurt us, we run to this God because he's going to protect us with all of that strength and might that he has. And so those are the three kinds of fear. But tonight we're going to look at causes for that sinful fear that we talked about. Why is it that we have this sinful fear? Why is it that we, we don't want to follow God? Why is it that we distrust God? Why is it that we, that we want to do things our own way instead of trusting God? And, uh, and in, uh, in your notes, you see there are six that are listed. We're not going to get through all six of them. I started to do it, and I said this would, be, this would be way too long tonight. So we'll get as far as we can, and we'll carry on next week and the next couple of weeks until we finish this up, hopefully in a week or two. But we start off with this fear. Why are we afraid of God? It's ignorance. 
It's a, it's a failure to understand or failure to believe the truth. And we'll get into that. And then there's this second fear, second reason, and that is guilt. And that is uh, living without God's forgiveness. We all have this guilt hanging over our heads and we don't want to deal with it. And so we have that problem. Then there's another reason we live in this sinful fear, and that's unbelief. We just don't believe in the promises of God. And we don't think God's going to take care of us. And that's a sinful kind of fear. Then there's confusion, a misinterpretation of life's trials, immoderation, which is an unbalanced life, really. And, uh, and that's what we'll, we'll get into that next week. And then, of course, we, are, we live in this sinful fear because Satan puts all kinds of ideas in our heads. Sometimes he even gets into our dreams and gets us thinking some strange things. And, uh, and we keep forgetting that he's a, he's a defeated foe and uh, he can be kind of terrifying. And uh, so anyway, we're going to get into those things, but let's start off tonight by just looking at this idea of uh, this cause, number one, we'll start here with ignorance. What are we ignorant of? Is living outside of the truth. You know, we don't know everything, and, and sometimes because we don't know everything, the things that we don't understand frighten us. And the next page, uh, page uh, number, I think it is uh, number four in your notes, there's that picture of those children there who are in bed, and it didn't come out so well in the printing, but if you look real closely, you can see they have a flashlight out, and they see certain things in the flashlight, and that's not so scary, but it's the things in the shadow that frighten them. Uh, the, the, they think that they, they lo- it looks like something else. Have you ever experienced that at night? You know, you, you fall asleep, and your arm falls over the side of the bed, and then you're worried about that monster under the bed is going to drag you under and eat you. You know, th- that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. Again, I think I told you, there was a closet in our house that I was just, I was never going to sleep with that door open because there was a dead lady in there who had her lips sewn shut and her eyes were open and she was going to get me and I was not going in that closet because of something stupid I'd seen on television. And uh, and, uh, I'm not kidding, I was terrified because I didn't understand this and I couldn't figure it out and, and what I saw on TV I thought was real and it wasn't, you know. And so... We, we are afraid of things that we're ignorant of. We don't understand certain things. Song of Solomon describes it this way. Each man has a sword on his side guarding against the terrors of the night. Um, you know, and, and I think that's the true, with truth. And then when we wake up and we see what we were afraid of in the night, then we kind of laugh. You, know, you look on your bedpost and you think there's a monster at the bed, end of the bed. And then you turn on the lights in the morning and you realize you, you threw your socks over there. And that's what it was. And it's not quite so frightening. But... Um, Anyway, we, we live in this because we don't understand certain things. And, you know, we are ignorant of a lot of things. We're ignorant about God. We don't really know who He is. We forget that He is omnipotent and that He can overtake any problem that we have. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27 says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice do me escapes the notice of my God? You know, Israel had forgotten that God was strong enough to take care of them. He'd forgotten, they had forgotten that, uh, that, uh, that he had delivered them from Egypt. They'd forgotten that he had killed all those soldiers in the Red Sea. He'd forgotten all these things that God had done for them. And then later on in life, they find themselves afraid of another enemy that was coming. And they forgot that God had taken care of them in the past. And so they were ignorant of the fact that God could take care of them now. Sometimes we tend to forget those things. Sometimes we forget God's deliverance in the past. John Flavel says, If we thoroughly understand and believe what power is in God's hand to defend us, what tenderness is in His heart to help us, and what faithfulness is in His promises, our hearts will be calm. 
Our courage will grow stronger and our fear will grow weaker. So we're ignorant sometimes of who God is and, and how powerful he is. And so when we get frightened, we get fearful, it's important for us to go to the scriptures and find a verse that reminds us of who God is and to hang on to that verse and med- meditate upon it. Let it sink down deep in our hearts and once again make that choice to put our trust in God. Sometimes we're ignorant of other people. We think too much of them. We look at them and we go, they're frightening, they're scary, there's too many of them. I think that's the greatest fear that a lot of people have of standing up like I'm doing right now and speaking in front of people. Uh, you know, I know that. There's some, Rick's back there shaking his head. Yeah, I'm scared to death of speaking in front of people. We may get you to do that anyway. But, it, you know, it's, it, there are people that we're, we're afraid of other people. How many, some of us are afraid of our boss. Some of us are afraid of somebody who's bigger than us. Sometimes, sometimes we see somebody and we think they're really got their whole life together and, and we don't have our life together. And so we are intimidated by them because they seem to be on top of the world. And if you get to know them a little bit, you recognize that, you know, they put their pants on one leg at a time just like you do. And, uh, and, they, and they have their own set of fears, their own set of discouragement. Second um, Samuel chapter 22, verse 5, it says, The waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction or the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. David went through a time of fear. Of the Philistines, a fear of armies that were going to come after him. And he forgot that God could take care of him. And he magnified these armies in his sight. They magnified the sight of the enemy. Which seems strange to me because you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 17, David was younger at that time and smaller at that time. And yet he took five little rocks and went out and took out a giant, right? But sometimes we forget those things and we start magnifying people who don't need to be magnified. And we, we live in this in this, uh, this fear that we are inferior. Um, you, on the next page, you see there's a picture there on page 5. And this is a question I think everybody has. I remember especially as a, as a junior high boy, I had to ask myself, am, am I all right? Am I, am I weird? Am, am I strange? What's, what's the matter with me? And, uh, and, and everybody else seems to be doing okay, but I don't know if I am or not, you know. I remember asking this girl that I kind of liked back then, you know, what do you, what do you think? Am, am I handsome? And she said, you're all right for a farm boy. And I thought, well, what does that mean? I don't even know what that means, you know. And, and we, we, we wonder if we're good enough. We wonder if we're as good as somebody else. And we think everybody else has got it together. It's just peer pressure. And we want to be like everyone. We want to fit into everybody else's mold. Mold. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 says, We are not to hold or not to, we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. I think the King James says they are not wise. So we don't need to be comparing ourselves to other people. We need to look to God and say, this is the way he is, and I'm just doing the best I can to be what God wants me to be. And so I don't really need to live in fear of speaking in front of other people. They're, they're afraid too. I don't need to be afraid of that, that crowd I'm trying to fit into. They've got their own hang-ups. I just need to be the best that I can in the will of God to accomplish what he wants me to do, and we can overcome that fears. So uh, John Flavel says, we fail to consider that people have no power over us except what God gives them from above. No army could overtake David unless God said it was time for David to be overtaken. 
Nobody can hurt you unless God says it's time for you to go through a trial. And so we need to not fear other people. Well, then remember, uh, we are also sometimes ignorant of, ignorant of ourselves. We don't really understand how much God loves us. We don't understand how much, uh, the kind of plan God has for us. Now again, we're not, we're not, I'm not trying to give us all big heads, but God has something for you to do and for me to do that is very unique. Uh, God made you special just the way he, you are. And yes, as you become more like him, you get better at what you're doing. But the idea is that God made you with the talents and the experiences and the, and the, um, the, the background that you have, the looks that you have, all the things that you have. This is because of God's love for you and he has a plan for you. And you need to find out what it is and recognize that God loves you even if everybody else you're not so sure about. Uh, we, we never need to be ignorant of the fact that God loves us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. Can you imagine what that is? What, how, how many of you like to be the the child of the president or the child of the king or the child of the queen, uh, with the, the, all the privileges that go with it. We are the children of God, and there are a lot of privileges that go with that as we walk with him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. It's going to get even better than what it is now. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. So there's no reason for us to live with an inferiority complex, always wondering, you know, am I good enough? Am I good? You are good enough because God has called you. Now, that, again, don't get proud about that. Remember, everything you are is a gift from God, but don't deny the fact that God made you who you are and for the purpose that he has for you and live up to what he's called you to be. Uh, we are all beloved by God and are useful in his service. Flavel says, if we were to understand how dear we are to God, our relation to him, our value in his eyes, and how we, he protects us by his faithful promises and gracious presence, we would not tremble at every appearance of danger. I am a child of God, and I am safe as long as I'm walking with him. Genesis 15, verse 1, Abraham had a time of fear, and God told him, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. I am a buckler to you. And God would protect us. Now, when we're living in the will of God, God promises to defend us for as long as we are accomplishing what he wants to be accomplished in our lives. And we need not live in fear. You remember Nehemiah. Nehemiah was called of God. He'd been a cupbearer in the king's throne room. And he heard about what was happening in Jerusalem and how Jerusalem was in ruins and it was in destruction. And and he got a burden for it, and he prayed about it, and God opened up the opportunity for him to go back and to be kind of the governor over the ruins of Jerusalem and rebuilding the walls. And the enemies of Israel hated him for it, and they would come in with different ways to try to attack him. I got a whole sermon I preached called, Oh No, Don't Go to Oh No, because they had invited him to go to that place, and they were going to dare do harm to him. And he said, I'm not going there. And there are other things that, that they, other attacks that came on Nehemiah. And one of them was they were going to come in and they were going to try to, try to capture him. And so everybody was saying, go lock yourself in the temple. 
and Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 11 said, Such a man said, says, should, should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. I'm not afraid. God called me to this. I am not going to live in fear. I am accomplishing the will of God, and God's going to take care of me. Now, we have no reason to live in fear because of others, because of our own felt insufficiencies, and we all have them, don't we? Anybody here feel insufficient sometimes? I just can't keep up. You know, I can't, I don't look like somebody else. I can't speak like somebody else. I sure can't sing like somebody else. I don't even smell like somebody else. You know, whatever it is, there's something about us that we just feel like we're inferior. I don't have as nice of clothes. I don't have as much money. I don't, I don't have, you know, whatever. I'm not as smart, whatever. But the fact is, God uses each of us the way we are, and we're sufficient to accomplish the task he has for us as we walk with him and are in his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3 says, Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the matters of this life? Now, that's talking about going to court of law and that sort of thing, but the fact is, you and I one day are going to be with working and ruling and reigning with the Lord Jesus, and we're going to be judging angels. I don't know how, what it's going to be like. I have no idea. Anybody ever seen an angel? I haven't seen one. I understand in the Old Testament, they, one angel came down and took out 189,000 people in a, in a, in a, in a 186,000, I think it was, in one battle, one angel, and yet we're going to judge over them. I don't understand all of that, but that's how important we are in the eyes of God, and you need to recognize that. Don't get proud about it, just recognize that God has a purpose for you. Tertullian, an old, uh, I think it was a Roman, said, Are you afraid of man, O Christian? When devils are afraid of you, the world ought to fear you, seeing you will judge it. That's an important concept to get. We have no reason to fear when we're out witnessing, when we're out speaking for the Lord, trying to live for Him. God's taking care of us, and, and what we're doing is important. We are ignorant of our circumstances. We forget God's presence. We sometimes go through times in life that are hard to understand. We really don't know why I'm going through this. I can imagine right now uh, our, our friend who, who's in town here with his wife. I don't understand why I'm going through this. I uh, recently heard about another pastor down in Mariposa. He, he flipped the riding mower all over himself and, and, and broke his wrist and broke his humerus bone and broke his foot. And he's trying to serve the Lord. He's got a great ministry going on. And why am I going through all of these things? We don't understand. And sometimes we think, maybe all these things are against us. And uh, sometimes we ask people, how are you doing? They say, I'm okay under the circumstances. Well, don't live under the circumstances. Recognize that God is over the circumstances. And anything that's happening in your life is God's will for you, or he's allowed it for you right now to teach you a lesson, to bring you closer to him, to give you an opportunity to get close to someone else. I think of my brother Paul, even as I'm thinking about this. He, he got cancer, and for, for eight years he battled cancer, and eventually it took him home to heaven. But because he had cancer, he was in the hospital with other people who were suffering, and other people who were hurting, and other people who were going through great agony without the Lord. And because he faced the Lord and recognized that God had brought this into his life, he used his opportunity of sickness to witness to others and led some of them to Christ. So there's a purpose in all of these things that we go through. And our circumstances are in the hand of God. 
and we can trust him. And when we don't like our circumstances, well, then maybe we're fighting God and we need to stop and say, okay, Lord, what is it you're trying to teach me or how are you going to use this in my life to accomplish your purpose? So recognize the circumstances that come from God. Isaiah chapter 45, when Israel was going into captivity, they didn't like it. Neither, nor would you or I if the Canadians came down and took over America. I don't think that'll ever happen. But uh, imagine if they came down and attacked us and took us over and we all had to become Canadians. We wouldn't like that very much. They, the children of Israel didn't like it when the Babylonians did it to them. But in Isaiah chapter 45, the prophet tells them, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. That's all we are, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. We're just clay pots in the, in the master's hand. Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? Or the thing that you're making say, he has no hands. Woe to him who says to his father, what are you begetting or to woman? To what are you giving birth? What, what, why are you allowing these things in my life? Why am I going through these difficulties? I like that picture there on page six of the potter's wheel. You see, he's spinning a wheel and he's trying to make a vessel and he puts a string or something through the clay and it cuts through the clay. Now, there are things that go, happen in our life that kind of cut through our lives, and, and it's, and it's kind of painful. Now, clay doesn't have any feelings, but you and I do. And when we go through these things, the master potter is accomplishing something in our lives that we may not understand. And we need to not argue with God. And I, I, I'm looking in our congregation, and I'm seeing people who have been through struggles, and I've seen people, seen people who have been through trials, and you understand that God has taught you some things through those things that you would never learn any other way. So rather than fight the potter, God the potter, we need to submit to him and let him mold us the way he wants us. Don't let the circumstances of our life get us down. God was saying to Israel, stop complaining about what I'm allowing in your life. I have a reason for it. There's a purpose in it. I'm doing things that you know nothing about. Isaiah 45, verses 11 through 13, Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker, Ask me about the things to come concerning my sons, and you shall commit to me the work of my hands. It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands, and I ordained all their host. I have aroused him in righteousness, and I will make all his ways smooth. He will build my city, and he will let my exiles go free. Without any payment or reward, says the Lord of hosts. He's talking about the trial that they're going through. But God was working in the middle of this trial. And he's going to rise up a guy named Cyrus. And he's going to let them all free eventually. We don't understand our circumstances. But God is working behind the scenes to get done in our lives what he wants done. Psalm chapter 68 verse 20 says, God is to us a God of deliverances. And to God the Lord belong escapes from death. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And we need to learn to be aware of that, that God is working in our circumstances. And that picture there on page 7, you see the little songbird. You ever had a songbird? You ever seen them in the cages? They still sing. They're in a, they're in a cage. They didn't choose to be in that cage, I can tell you that. You ever open up a bird cage and... Watch them fly out and wonder if they're ever coming back. Yeah, uh, that's the way it is. They don't really necessarily enjoy being there. You kind of have to put them in there. 
And God sometimes puts us through difficulties we don't understand, and we need to learn to sing even in those circumstances that are unpleasant to us. I like what Peter and or what Paul and Silas did in Acts chapter 16. They didn't choose to go to prison. They didn't like that. They're out there trying to start a church in Philippi, and uh, because of somebody else's actions, they find themselves locked up in a, not a birdcage, but something similar to it. And what were they doing? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying in Acts 16.25 and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening. So, you know, when we go through our trials, when we go through our difficulties, we need to learn to sing for the glory of God, even in the middle of them. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? It really is. Uh, but I remember, I, as I was thinking about my brother Paul just now as I'm going through this, he, he, he preached a message that was one of the most powerful messages he ever preached. In the middle of his cancer, it was called Living in the Light of Dying. He knew he was dying, and he spoke up positively for the Lord and was a huge blessing to people because of it. He chose to not live under his circumstances, but recognize that God is over his circumstances. That's where you and I need to live. Well, we're all not going to get to the third one, but we'll get through the second one tonight, and then we'll go to the next ones the next week. But let's go on to the second cause. The first cause is ignorance. Ignorance of God, ignorance of other people, give ignorance of ourselves, ignorance of our circumstances. Well, then there's a, a second cause, and that is guilt. We're fearful because we're, we feel guilt, and we haven't dealt with our guilt. We haven't accepted God's forgiveness. We haven't asked for it. Or he's offered it, and we just haven't believed that he's given it to us. A servant of sin is necessarily a slave of fear. Those who commit evil must expect evil, John Flavel says. Sin in our lives always gives us that guilty conscience. We're always kind of looking over our shoulders, waiting to see when it's going to catch up with us. I think I told you a couple weeks ago about, about the book Crime and Punishment, about the man who killed the lady and. And all of his life, he lived his life constantly wondering when they were going to catch him. And, and, and the misery of the guilt finally almost drove him insane until he finally just confessed to it and got it over with. And that's, that's what we have to deal with. We have to deal with our sin. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is Adam and Eve after the fall. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. You know, it's amazing. God was down there in it with, with love in his heart for Adam and Eve. God was there wanting to have fellowship with Adam and Eve. And, and the voice of God, instead of bringing comfort to Adam and Eve, brought fear to Adam and Eve because of guilt. That's the way we live sometimes. We need to accept God's forgiveness. We need to ask for God, God's forgiveness. We need to trust God when he says he forgives us so we don't live in the fear of guilt because we can be forgiven. Job chapter 15, verse 21, The wicked man rise in pain all his days, and numbered are the years stored up for his for the ruthlessness, sounds of terror are in his ears, while at peace the destroyer comes upon him. Even when we're, when we're living in guilt, we're always worried about getting caught. 
Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. God told the children of Israel when they fell into sin, He said, Behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. I think uh, Cain was told, Sin lies at the door. It's ready to get you if we fall into sin and we live with guilt. Isaiah wrote about the fear of living with a conscience that is pricked by guilt. And he says in Isaiah 33, verse 14, Sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can live with consuming fire? God's going to judge us. Who among us can live with continual burning? God's going to get us. He's going to if we don't deal with our sin. But if, we've, if we ask forgiveness and he says he's willing to give it to us. The, the author of the book, Flavel, gives a couple of illustrations of, of kings who had to deal with that. Uh, King Charles IX of France was a notorious murderer of Christians. He would gather them up and torment them and, and, and execute them and, and assassinate them. And then he would hear about what had happened and the difficulties that they were going through and the pain and the suffering and the cries of these people who were being killed. And those, those cries would haunt him in the night. And so he would constantly, remember King Saul? had to have music played to calm his spirit. That was the same way with this king of France. He was living and he had to have music played all the time to, to drown out the guilt that he felt for what he had done. King Richard III of England had the same kind of problem. He, he killed two of his innocent nephews. He had them murdered, but he couldn't sleep because he had dreams. The devil was haunting him all night long and the devils were coming after him all night long in his sleep. We need to deal with guilt if we want to get past fear. Tacitus, the Roman senator and historian who wrote about the tyrants of those days, said, if it was possible to open their minds and consciences, we would find many terrible stripes and wounds. So we can see people who live with guilt constantly living in fear. I think I see that we see this in the streets of San Francisco some. Some of the people who they've done something. They did something awful. They're, they're living with an addiction. They're living with something that they've done in their past and they just can't get past it. And so they're constantly living in fear. We need to be aware of that. Guilty people are always fearfully looking over their shoulders. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and of love and discipline or sound judgment or a sound mind. We can think clearly when we have dealt with guilt. Otherwise, we're living with this fear of being caught. Guilt aggravates small matters, making things worse than they are. In his guilt over Abel's murder, Cain said, everybody in the world is going to be out to get me. So God put a mark on him to comfort him and said, there is redemption for you. You're going to have to live with some consequences, but not everybody's out to get you. The guilt interprets all doubtful cases in the world in, in the worst light. In Genesis chapter 42, verse 36, you remember Jacob. Uh, his, his 11 sons had come back with, Jake, with Joseph's bloody garment. And they said, Joseph has been killed. Of course, he hadn't been. They had soaked it in the blood of a goat, and they sent Joseph off into slavery. They were guilty of what they had done, but he had raised his, his boys so badly. Can you imagine? I mean, we talk about dysfunctional homes. 
Can you imagine living in a home with four mothers? And all the kids come from different mothers. And, and, then, and yet dad likes Joseph better than the other ones. And he's like the, 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 the last one born. Because Benjamin hadn't come around then. And so they, they picked a favorite. And they, he treats him better than everybody else. These other guys. What a dysfunctional family. Joseph, Jacob lived in a terrible, Jacob did a terrible job as a father. And so when this comes back to him, what's his thought? All these things are against me. That's because of guilt, I think, in his mind. All these things are against me. That's the way it is when we live in guilt. Guilt creates fear and terror where none exists. Uh, There's a man in the scriptures called Pasher. P-A-S-H-H-U-R. We don't know about him too much. He's in the book of Jeremiah. And he was one of the priests who persecuted Jeremiah the prophet. Remember, Jeremiah was prophesying that judgment was coming and, and the people didn't want to hear it. And so they would all speak against him and they would try to gather against him. Jeremiah the weeping prophet had to go through all these trials and tribulations. And Pasher the priest, let's look at here, Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 1 Pasher the priest, the son of Immer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. And Pasher had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate, which is by the house of the Lord. And on the next day, when Pasher released Jeremiah from the stocks, now listen, if you remember, if you ever studied history, what happened when they put people in the stocks? You ever seen these things where you put people, you put their head in it, you put their hands in it, you put the thing down on it, and then people throw tomatoes at them and eggs at them and whatever else they were doing? That's kind of what they did did to Jeremiah at this time. Picking on him, spitting on him, calling him names, making fun of him. Verse 3, on the next day when Pasher released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said said to him, Pasher is not the name of the Lord. Pasher is not the name the Lord has called you. I don't know what Pasher means. But rather, Magar Miss Abib. Magar Miss Abib. If you look above that verse there, you'll see that Magar Miss Abib means terror on every side. In other words, God's changing your name from whatever it was to the rest of your life. You're going to live in terror because you've done something bad against the Lord. For the Lord, for verse 4 says, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I'm going to make, a, make you a terror to yourself. And to all your friends, and while your eyes look on, they will fall by the sword of their enemies. And so I will go over to Judah, and he goes on and talks about these things. So the rest of Pashur's life, because he had disobeyed God and was guilty, all of his life he was, gonna, he was waiting for this, this judgment to come. You get to the end of the book of Jeremiah, and I think Pashur's son was part of the crowd that was captured with Zedekiah, and all the difficulties that happened where Zedekiah's children were killed in front of him and then Zedekiah's eyes were put out and they were taken off into Babylonian captivity. And all of his life, Pasher had to deal with that. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. I used to tease a friend of mine. I used to pull pranks on her. I'd say, when you least expect it, expect it. And so she was always like this, you know. It was in fun. I talked to her the other day. But, uh, but, but if it wasn't in fun, can you imagine living with, if you least expect it, expect it? Oh, what fear. What, what trepidation that would be. So he lived out the rest of his life with that. So when we live in guilt, we live with this kind of fear constantly. I love Psalm 32. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had committed 
murder of her husband by having him killed in battle. He tried to hide it. He did all sorts of things. And he lived with guilt for a while, and he had some consequences that came. But somewhere along the line, David recognized that God had forgiven him, and God gave him peace. Psalm 32, verse 1, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever or heat of summer. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. What a wonderful thing it is. You see, we don't have to live with guilt. We don't have to live with the fear that comes because of guilt. We can seek God's forgiveness. We can receive God's forgiveness. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, that's where you need to start. Ask Him to forgive you of our sins. He says He, he, says he will. And if you're a Christian living in sin, the Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now we're going to have to stop now because of time. But take these notes home and meditate upon them. Think about them. I hope there's some scripture and some help there for you. Pastor, are you coming up? Oh, he's going to come up. So I'll let him come and close our meeting with a word of prayer. Take your hymn books. Hymn number 293. This is good practical teaching tonight. Very, very helpful. Very, very practical. There's a battle goes on in our minds, and it's the truth of God's Word that resolves those battles. And the assurance that God's Word is true and it's right. Hymn number 293, just a song of comfort and assurance before we go. So will you stand and let's sing all four stanzas. This wonderful song. Be not dismayed whatever tide God will take care of you Beneath his wings of love
And the last stanza, no matter what time without the piano I want us to sing that chorus I'm wondering tonight before we go home is there something that has really been eating you up anxiety fear some area maybe he hasn't talked about it tonight but you just need to lay that thing at the Lord's feet before you go home, go home tonight We are to rest in the Lord. We need to have confidence in the Lord. God will take care of you. Will he? Is he really God? Is his word really true? Is he bigger, greater than our situations? We need to ask those questions. Just sing that chorus one more time with me, please. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take Thank you, dear Lord, for your word tonight. Quiet our hearts. Spirit of the living God, come fresh on us. Give us confidence in the great God and in the word of God that settles every issue in life. Fill us fresh with your Holy Spirit. Enable us, give us that great wisdom we need to go through the struggles that we have. Give us the truths from your word that set us free. And that give us your joy, your peace, and your confidence. And as we go, do give us, dear Lord, a safe journey home. A good rest tonight. Bless our people wherever they are. Touch their lives in that area of greatest need, their home, their families. And may your presence be known in our lives as a testimony of your goodness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great to see you. God bless you.